Hello and welcome to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny. Today is Friday, September 1st, and I hope that you are having a wonderful day. It's officially September. I think that makes it the end of summer. I hope you had a good one, and I hope that you are looking forward to an even better autumn. We have a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, here at My Daily Trivia. If this is your first time listening, I want to say welcome. My Daily Trivia is a 10-round quiz show with no specific themes, topics, or categories. Each day does get progressively harder, so today is Friday, which means that today is the hardest day of the week. As always, if you find this episode to be a bit challenging, I encourage you to listen to it anyway. You never know, you might surprise yourself, you might actually know the answer to a pretty challenging question. Uh, if, however, you find this episode to be uh, to be a bit too simple, well, I congratulate you. This is as hard as it gets. Now, right off the bat, I want to say that we are going to be taking this Monday off. It is a holiday in the United States. It is Labor Day. We will not be coming out with an episode, but we are coming out with one first thing on Tuesday morning, so be sure to check in on Tuesday. So without further delay, let's get into today's round of Friday questions with question number one. Who collaborated with Karl Marx to produce the Communist Manifesto? And that was the lesser-known Friedrich Engels. Friedrich Engels was a German philosopher, political theorist, historian, journalist, and revolutionary socialist. He was also a businessman and Karl Marx's closest friend and collaborator. Engels' family was actually very wealthy and owned large cotton textile mills in Prussia and England. He met Marx in 1844 and they jointly authored a number of works, including The Holy Family in 1844, The German Ideology, written in 1846, and of course The Communist Manifesto in 1848. They also worked as political organizers and activists in the Communist League and the First International. Engels would help Marx financially, allowing him to continue his writing after moving to London in 1849. After Marx's death in 1883, Engels compiled volumes 2 and 3 of Das Kapital, that was in 1885 and 1894, and helped found the Second International, and was a leading authority on Marxism. So, most people know Karl Marx, but now you also know Friedrich Engels. Moving on to question number two. Which instrument is associated with Earl Bud Powell? And that instrument is the piano. Earl Rudolph Bud Powell was an American jazz pianist and composer, along with Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, Kenny Clark, and Dizzy Gillespie. Bud Powell was a leading figure in the development of modern jazz. In fact, I think if you ask me, it seems like you have to have a pretty cool name. I'm going to run through that list again, but I think you have to have a pretty cool name to be a founding member and development of modern jazz. That was Charlie Parker cool name, Thelonious Monk, very cool name, Kenny Clark, not bad, Dizzy Gillespie, great name, and Bud Powell. Now, Bud Powell, his virtuosity led many to call him the Charlie Parker of the piano. Uh, Charlie Parker played played the saxophone. 
Powell was also a composer, and many jazz critics credit his works and his playing as having, quote, greatly extended the range of jazz harmony, end quote. So once again, Bud Powell, he was tickling the, tickling the ivories on the piano. Question number three. In Shakespeare's play, Romeo and Juliet, which family does Juliet belong to? And that family is Capulet. The Capulet family in the play was named after an actual political faction of the 13th century. Notably, the Capulet family in the play is often portrayed as the more aggressive family, as much of the conflict is actually caused by them. They are also more developed since more attention is given to their family life. Juliet Capulet, the female protagonist of Romeo and Juliet, is the only daughter of Capulet, the patriarch of the Capulet family. She, of course, falls in love with Romeo, who is a member of the rival family called the Montagues. So again, Romeo and Juliet, that was Juliet Capulet. And as a side note, Romeo Montague. Moving on to question number four. Which city in Turkmenistan is known for having a giant golden statue of the country's first president, Saparmurat Miyazov, that rotates to always face the sun? And that city is known as Ashgabat. The Monument of Neutrality, which is what the statue is called, is a monument originally located in Ashgabat, the capital city of Turkmenistan. The three-legged arch, which became known locally as the tripod, was 75 meters, that's about 246 feet tall, and was built in 1998 on the orders of the president of Turkmenistan, Saparmurat Niezau, to commemorate the country's official position of neutrality. It cost $12 million to construct. The monument was topped by a 12-meter or 39-foot-tall gold-plated statue of the president, which rotated always to face the sun. In 2010, it was moved to the suburbs of the city, so technically speaking, it is no longer in the capital of Ashgabat. Question number five. What is the longest river in Australia? And that river, the longest river of the land down under, is the Murray River. The Murray River is a river in southeastern Australia. It is Australia's longest river at 1,500 miles, or 2,500 kilometers. Its tributaries include five of the next six longest rivers of Australia. In order, they are the Murrumbidgee, the Darling, the Lachlan, the Waregu, and the Peru Rivers. I'm sure I mispronounced many of those. Australia tends to have some fun, creative names, I would say. Together with that of the Murray the catchments of all of these rivers from the Murray-Darling Basin, which covers about one-seventh of the area of Australia, is it is widely considered Australia's most important 
irrigated region. Now, we do have quite a uh, following for this show in Australia. So apologies to the Aussies out there who rolled their eyes at this question. I'm sure you thought that this was quite simple and not belonging on a Friday for this round of hard questions. But if you asked anybody in the United States, possibly Canada, and I'm sure most of Europe, they probably didn't know the answer. I certainly did not know the answer. But now we all know that the longest river in Australia is the Murray River. Question number six. Dendrophobia is the fear of what? And that phobia is associated with trees. Dendrophobia is an excess and irrational fear of trees. It is categorized as a specific phobia, which is an anxiety disorder characterized by a persistent and intense fear of a specific object or situation. Individuals with dendrophobia may experience extreme anxiety, panic, or distress when they encounter trees or are in proximity to them. This fear can extend to different types of trees, such as tall trees, leafy trees, or specific species. Dendrophobia may develop due to a variety of factors, including traumatic experiences, learned behaviors, or a predisposition to anxiety disorders. This phobia can significantly impact an individual's daily life, limiting their ability to go outdoors, visit parks or forests, or enjoy nature-based activities. To me, it sounds absolutely awful. I can't imagine having to live my life where I live, which has many trees. I mean, I couldn't even look out my window right now without seeing probably three or four trees. So shout out to those who have dendrophobia. Hang in there. Question number seven. The last leader of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, was in what restaurant commercial? And that restaurant was Pizza Hut. Mikhail Gorbachev, the last leader of the Soviet Union, was featured in a 1998 television advertisement for Pizza Hut. Now, if you don't know what Pizza Hut is, Pizza Hut is a chain of pizza restaurants here in the United States. The commercial was filmed in November of 1997 on Red Square and in a Pizza Hut restaurant elsewhere in Moscow. It was aired internationally in January 1998, but actually not in Russia. In the commercial, a family inside the Pizza Hut restaurant discusses Gorbachev's political legacy, while Gorbachev himself is seated eating a pizza just a few tables away. Now, the younger man in the family and the older man in the family disagree over the legacy of what Gorbachev did for their country until finally the older lady steps in, splits up the argument by saying, that Gorbachev gave them Pizza Hut. Gorbachev used the money that he earned to finance this project uh, for, for putting it towards his foundation. The commercial has been described as illustrative of the victory of capitalism inside the former Soviet Union. Uh, I, I actually watched it. It's on YouTube. I encourage all of you to watch it. It is a pretty ridiculous commercial, but it is quite interesting. It is absolutely a snapshot in that moment of time in history, and it's quite quite interesting to see. So again, Mikhail Gorbachev miraculously, surprisingly, appeared in a Pizza Hut 
commercial. Question number eight. What country has competitive office chair racing? And that country, it almost shouldn't even be a surprise, is Japan. Although office chair racing has been hosted by many countries, including Germany and Denmark, the origins of this wacky race hail from further afield in Kyoto, Japan. The Isu 1 Grand Prix, by the way, Isu means chair in Japanese, so I guess technically it's called the Chair Grand Prix, which is kind of fun. The Isu 1 Grand Prix tests not only one's physical endurance, but also mental strength, team coordination, as well as course planning and other race strategies. Founded just over 10 years ago and inspired by Formula One and Le Mans Endurance Racing, the race sees teams of three battle it out on office swivel chairs for two grueling hours to see who can complete the most laps of the 200-meter course. Now, of course, this is something that Japan would come up with. I feel like Japan always comes up with fun and creative and different games for their people to enjoy. But uh, that is the home of competitive office chair racing. Question number nine. In what country would you find the geoglyphs known as the Nazca Lines? And that country is Peru. The Nazca Lines are a group of geoglyphs made in the soil of the Nazca Desert in southern Peru. They were created between 500 BC and 500 AD by people making depressions or shallow incisions in the desert floor, removing pebbles and leaving different colored dirt exposed. Most lines run straight across the landscape, but there are also figurative designs of animals and plants. The figures vary in complexity. Hundreds are just simple lines and geometric shapes, but more than 70 are zoomorphic designs, including a hummingbird, a spider, fish, condor, heron, monkey, lizard, dog, cat, and of course, a human. The combined length of all the lines is more than 800 miles long. That's about 1,300 kilometers. And the group covers an area of about 19 square miles. It's roughly 50, 50 kilometers squared. In the years leading up to 2020, between 80 and 100 new figures have been found with the use of drones, and archaeologists believe that there are still more to be found. I actually googled these and took a look at them. They are quite impressive. I encourage you to, uh, to go take a look at those Nazca lines, once again located in Peru. Moving on to question number 10. Now, before we get to question number 10, as I promised, this was going to be the last time I plugged it this week, but I'm encouraging all of you to subscribe to our show. Many of you have not. I think it's, we did the math, it's somewhere around 90% of people have not yet subscribed. So you, yes, you, please do subscribe. It really is important to the algorithm. We're always trying to grow the show here, trying to expand the community uh, here at My Daily Trivia. So I invite you all to do so and thank you in advance. Now, with that out of the way, and again, next week, won't be doing it at all, let's get on to question number 10. What igneous rock has a density less than water?
and that rock is pumice. Pumice, called pumicite in its powdered or dust form, is a volcanic rock that consists of highly vesicular, rough-textured volcanic glass, which may or may not contain crystals. Pumice is created when superheated, highly pressurized rock is rapidly ejected from a volcano. The unusual foamy configuration of pumice happens because of simultaneously rapid cooling and rapid depressurization. The depressurization creates bubbles by lowering the solubility of gases, including water and CO2, that are dissolved in the lava, causing the gases to rapidly exsolve. So think of like the bubbles of CO2 that appear when a carbonated drink is opened. The simultaneous cooling and depressurization freeze the bubbles in a matrix. So this ultimately creates the rock that can float in water. That again is pumice. So that will conclude this round of My Daily Trivia. If you found this round to be simple, I congratulate you. This is as hard as it gets. You can pat yourself on the back, go into the weekend knowing that Friday was an easy round for you. If, however, you found this round to be a bit challenging, not to fear, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we go Monday through Friday with each day getting a little bit harder. So that means that early next week, we will have the easiest rounds. You can tune in there and try your hand again. I do want to remind everybody that Monday is a holiday here in the United States, and we will be taking it off. It is Labor Day. And so for those of you who are in the United States and celebrating Labor Day, I want to uh, wish you a happy holiday and a happy long weekend. And uh, we will see you again on Tuesday. Once again, my name is Danny. I want to thank all of you for listening to My Daily Trivia. And we will see you on Tuesday of next week. 